Welcome back to the Zero Weakness Podcast, where we talk about how to be a better lifter, how to be a better coach, and everything in between. Make sure you subscribe and enjoy. All right, uh, welcome back to another episode of the Zero Weakness Podcast. We've got a special guest here today. Uh, we've got my bro, Alex Glenn. Uh, he's a legend, 13-year NRL veteran, 282 games in the NRL, 59 tries, uh, sexiest man in the NRL. Damn. A lot of accolades. He's, uh, he's an amazing bloke, an amazing family man, and... Uh, Thanks for coming through. Ah, my boy. Thank you for having me, man. I told you, we've got to cut that gas in that, man. <laughs> I don't like that stuff. That's not me. That's not me. It isn't you. That's why I have to say it. I have to say it for you. <laughs> but I appreciate you having me here, man. It's an absolute honor, bro. And um, obviously, I've known Henny for a long time, man. And it's a pleasure to meet you, boys. So thanks for, for having me. No, thanks for taking the time to come out, man. Um, we'll get straight into it, right? So uh, I'm really curious to know a little bit more about uh, your sporting journey. First off, were you born in Australia? No, I was born in Auckland. Auckland, okay. Yeah. And so um, give, give it to us from the start. When did you get into footy? Were you playing any other sports? And then how did that lead to getting to the NRL? Yeah, bro. Um, obviously, I was born in Auckland, New Zealand. I said that before, a small place called Beachhaven in the North Shore. And um, ever since I was young, bro, my family, obviously rugby and rugby league was, was massive in New Zealand. Um, with the All Blacks, don't have to elaborate on that. But, um, you know, I was always playing rugby league from the age of five. Uh, my uncles were, um, they went to Melbourne Storm like back in the day. So I looked up to them a lot um, and literally fell in love with the game. Um, as a kid, I played every single sport there was, man. Touch, soccer, cricket. Was I good at them? Probably not. <laughs> but rugby and rugby league was my, my go-to. So loved it. Um, lived there till I was about 14 years old and... My, my mum won a trip to the Gold Coast, just a, just a raffle. Um, and she took my younger brother and sister over here, seeing the opportunities here for us kids. Um, obviously, you know, Auckland doesn't add too much when it comes to lifestyles um, and what you can achieve. You're pretty capped over there. So she was like, nah, we're going we're gonna to make a change. And uh, she flew us over here. We only had my uncle that was living here at the time. So... As a kid, growing up with a big family, heaps of cousins and that, moving away from that was scary. It was scary, but I'm so grateful for it. Um, I moved to Burley. Best place to live. Absolute best place to live. Um, locals only, the, eh? Oh, bro. Us locals. <laughs> <laughs> um, literally lived there. Went to Miami High School. Um, started playing uh, for Burley Bears, rugby league team. Um, and it was crazy because... A Kiwi kid coming to a new country, no friends. The first coach that I had was Sam Stewart, who's like a New Zealand legend, bro. Played for Newcastle Knights um, in the Super League era, and um, I felt at home straight away, bro. So these boys took me in under 16s. We won a championship that first year, so I was like, how good is this, man? Um, and then literally, I gave up footy for three years. I just, um, I had a back problem. Mm. Uh, like I was just always having that sore aching back man and um, went and seen a Cairo and he goes man we got to get x-rayed got an x-rayed and he goes if you get in a bad position in footy you could be um, in a wheelchair for the rest of your life and like boof like a light bulb just went off in my head hard to give up footy at that time playing 17 you know, 16 um, all my mates were doing it so it was a hard transition for myself but I didn't want to put that on my family if I was in a wheelchair. So um, gave up footy for a period of time. And then once I finished school, man, I was um, 
I was always that kid like, ah, who cares about, you know, the workforce, man, I'll deal with it when it gets to it. Mm. Got to that period in my life, what am I going to do? Looking around like this, like, I've got nothing going for me. Um, so I literally, I, w- I, I, I was sort of lost in the direction of all purpose in life. So started painting with a mate, man. I was like, man, this just ain't me. Like, tradie life just ain't me. And I was speaking to one of my uncles from New Zealand, and he goes, bro, why don't you go back to footy? And I was like, yeah, it's been about two years, three years. I was like, oh, i got to check my back out, make sure it's all good. Um, he goes, because I know you're not yourself. You're not happy. You're not, you know, where, happy where you're at at the moment. Footy was that for you. So long story short, man, got the clearance to play footy again. Come back, play Colts at Burley Bears. In that first year, I went straight from, like, didn't even play one game in Colts. Went up to Queensland Cup. Um, played a whole year in Queensland Cup, got signed from the Brisbane Broncos in that first year, um, and then went played under twenties in two thousand and eight um, with the first ever um, under twenties comp for the Brisbane Broncos. We went to the grand final, got beaten by a Canberra Raiders at, in the Golden Point, which was devastating. Um, and then the following year, I transitioned straight into first grade in two thousand and nine. So from my journey from not playing footy. To being a first grader took two years, and it doesn't happen that quick. But I just dedicated everything to it. You know, I sacrificed going out partying with my mates as an eighteen-year-old um, to you know critiquing my craft and trying to be the best athlete I could be. I had a lot to learn. I was obviously having that period off from footy. I had a lot of catching up to do. So man, I just started grinding, getting in the gym, waking up, you know, six o'clock, doing hill sprints and carumban stairs and all that stuff, trying to get one up on my opposition, man. And I'm grateful for it. It taught me a lot about, you know, hard work, discipline, sacrifice. And that's something that I try to hold throughout my whole career. And that's awesome. So when you, because that's such a rapid transition from not having played for so long to being, you know, at the top level really fast. So you, you mentioned some of that stuff, you know, getting up early and running. What other, what other extra training were you doing on top? And what did the, what did the training for Q Cup and then signing onto the Broncos look like? Like how much, yeah, bro. how many hours per week were you putting in on top of what you already had to do? Every day, man. Every day I was grinding. And I know it's cliche. Everyone's like, you know, when work is nine to five, you go home and work on yourself. Like literally that, that's what I was doing. Obviously my build was, my physique, I was playing a lot of touch back then. So like I was skinny as hell. Um, so for me getting back into footy, I had to put a lot of weight on. So I had to eat and eat and force eat. Um, Learned a lot about nutrition and supplements and stuff because all this was new to me. Like as a 16-year-old, when I finished, oh, when I stopped playing footy, like we weren't talking about getting your protein in back then. It was just playing fun, mm. for fun. So educating myself on this nutrition stuff um, was all new to me. And then when I jumped up into Queensland Cup, Obviously, like, I was training against men, bro. So I learned that I had to I had to get into it really, really quick, man. Um, and I'm grateful for it because, honestly, I learned qu- way quicker than I would have when I was playing Colts against my own age group. Like, these, these guys were um, ex-NRL players coming back to play for Queensland Cup. So they taught me a lot about, you know, what they learned through their careers um, and their diet plans. And then I, I was like a sponge man just absorbing – the best parts from everyone's story, taking it home to myself and then just grinding on myself, man. It was, it was a challenge, but it's something that I appreciate a lot now. It's crazy because I still remember very clearly watching you debut in the, in the under-20s comp. I just remember you and Benny Hunt being the standouts in that <laughs> team. And um, yeah, it's just crazy to think that was in 2008. Yeah, it's nuts. That was forever bro. ago. Right, and it's a funny story, right? So 
um, Wayne Bennett rang me, right? And I'm painting houses. I'm in a house and I get this phone call and um, I don't know, I don't recognize the number and I, I answer it and he goes, Alex, it's Wayne Bennett here. What we we like? No, <laughs> this, this was my honest response. And can I swear on this? Yeah, yeah. I went fuck off. <laughs> Hung up, bro. Hung up on Wayne Bennett, man. And everyone's like, what? You did it on Wayne? And because initially I thought one of the boys stitching me up, stitching me up. Because at the time, like I was getting a bit of um, frequencies from different clubs. So I hadn't been reached from the Broncos yet. So I thought nah, one of the boys are doing me up. And literally I hung up on Wayne. He rang me back like two seconds later. He goes, no, nah, before you hang up, like I'm being legit. This is Wayne, Wayne Bennett from the Brisbane Broncos. And literally, I was just like, oh my gosh, I am so <laughs> sorry, man. I apologize for that. Um, and then when we met, he, he drove down from Brisbane. We met um, at mum's work um, and I was covered in paint. And straight away, he said to um, Andrew G, he goes, he looks like Carmichael Hunt, sign him. And bro, I didn't hear that, but he told me that afterwards. Um, later on in the years when we linked up and he goes, I signed you because you look like Carmichael and if you're anything like him, we want you at the club. And I was like, man, this That's dude mean. hasn't even seen my highlights or anything. <laughs> like, you know, I was just like, oh. So I said to Carmichael, I was like, appreciate you, my G. You got me to this club. Thank you, thank you. Carmichael Hunt, he's a, he's a legend. He was one of my favourite players as a kid as well. He had the crazy yeah. footwork. He was the first fullback you'd ever see just sprint back front. at the line like a front rower. Yeah, bro. Just 100. got big nuts, eh? 100%. So it, tough. It's because he is Cook Island. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's Filipino. Hey. <laughs> um, but yeah, legit, bro. Like, Carmichael was the first fullback to, like, literally pick up the ball and run it straight at the biggest dude. He'll get dropped, but he'll get up straight away. You already knew he would play that ball as quick as he can, and he did that every time. That's how you gain respect in our sport, man. 100%. Especially someone like a Carmichael, who's not big in stature either. Yeah. Yeah. Just... Purely just nuts. 100%, man. Mm. And it was crazy. My first preseason going into the first grade, man, like I was brushing shoulders with Darren Lockyer and Sammy Thayde, Petro and all that. And like Darren Lockyer was one of my idols growing up. So I was like this little kid, like just constantly staring at him, like in a weird way, bro. Like people were like, man, you got to stop staring. I'm like, I can't believe I'm just brushing <laughs> shoulders with him, you know? And then because I was a back rower, man, um, he threw me my first pass and I caught it and literally I got tackled Played the ball and I was like, oh, well, <laughs> just passed me the ball. I was like, fuck. It's crazy thinking about it, bro. But um, yeah, man, watching those boys, I literally just took everything from them, man. Like I just watched these guys train in and out, what they did to recover, um, you know, their diet. And I was just like trying, uh, constantly, I wasn't embarrassed about asking questions, man. Mm. Um, and I, f I feel like a lot of kids, they have that phobia of that, man. You know, they don't want to step on anyone's toes these days. And um, the younger boys that come through, man, I'd, I'd always grab them straight away and just be like, man, if there's someone that you look up to, don't be shy. Go ask them how they did it, what they did, what was their journey, what some things that you wish you knew when you were a 19-year-old coming through. Because literally, you never know what your opportunities can come or where it can come from and how far you can go. You can only cap yourself, so... Um, that's something that I'm glad that I didn't do as, as a young kid, man. I, th I think as well, just quickly, that I think that's what's really admirable, uh, admirable about you is that you're you're so humble, you're so down to earth, very easily approachable. You're, Thank you, my You brother. know, you're an easy guy to get along with. Um, as soon as I met you, the very first time I met you, I think we we became friends on Instagram first. Yo. So we're talking on Instagram for yeah. ages or whatever, and then when we finally met, it just felt like I knew you for, forever. Oh, yeah. 100. And um, 
yeah, no, that's just something that I just want to chuck out there because everyone who knows Alex always says the exact same thing. He's been a gentleman of the sport for 13 years, doesn't have a bad cross by his name. Everyone knows him as being a beautiful uh, family man. And yeah, so it's, you, um, it's, it's really admirable, especially in an industry where it's so easy to get a you know, led astray and you're earning so much money at a young age. Um, yeah, it's fuck. Yeah. You can go off track pretty quick and pretty easy. And you know, there's a lot of people that, uh, would happily take you down that path as well. So yeah, no, nah, that's sure. really, uh, really cool to see. I gotta say, bro, it's a credit to the way I was raised, man. And my family, um, you know, we come from humble beginnings. Obviously my background is I'm half Cook Island, half Pakeha Kiwi. Um, so I was always around that, that culture of family, um, humble gratitude, you know, respect. Um, we were taught about respect. Big. I'll just get you to talk into the mic a little bit more. So yeah, we're taught we're taught about um, you know respect a lot as a, as a kid coming from Ireland, an Islander um, background, and um, you know no, it didn't matter who you were as a person or where you where you've um, gone in your journey. You always be humble, grateful, and respectful. Um, and that's you know if I stepped out of line I'll be getting a whoop on my ass from my parents and that so um, it's something that was always in my DNA um, no matter who I met I'll treat them like they are the CEO um, of a club or, or a franchise man it was just who I am bro you treat people how you want to be treated back bro and it doesn't matter who they are as, as people I love that so um, I'm really curious to hear about like you know again you went you went to the top level so fast mm-hmm how did you deal with like the nerves of performing at that level? Obviously you were, you know, side by side with people you would idolize and legends of the sport when you were young, like stepping out onto the, onto your first Broncos game, you know, under everyone's eyes. What, what was that like? How did you deal with the nerves? Did you even have nerves or were you just doing your thing? Bro, I had nerves like no tomorrow, (laughs) man, that day. Um, I had my dad fly over from New Zealand and my family fly over from New Zealand. So, that pressure as well, getting put on yourself as well as playing against the North Queensland Cowboys, sold out 55,000 people <laughs> at Suncorp on a Friday night, round one. First game of the season. The nerves was insane, insane. I remember coming into the to the stadium, bro, and I reckon I did like three, four nervous poos, eh? Like, <laughs> just couldn't control it, man. Like, sometimes I'll sit in the toilet and nothing will happen. I'll just let a little fart in and go and I'll be there. Man, what's going on you know like I couldn't control my nerves bro yeah. so like I still kept going through all my footy prep like my stretching uh, mobility and all that stuff but at the same time I was constantly going to the toilet to do a wee or something man I was like I'm gonna end up being dehydrated because I'm trying to piss too much um, and then Ivan Hendrick was the coach at the time he came up and see me so I was I was on the bench uh, number 14 and he came and see me and he goes I'm gonna you're gonna be our first interchange I'm gonna put you on in the 20 minute mark and you'll probably go on around hooker to give our hooker a break at the time and bro like I've never played hooker man like I did a little bit of trials and stuff um, but my touch background having that pass and that he's like I just need you to tackle which I love doing and he goes just feed Lockie the ball whenever he wants it I go yep easy done I can do that so I was sitting on the sideline when he told me that I was sitting on the sideline I was clock watching clock watching the whole time um i remember coming out in the stadium hearing everyone roar and i was just like oh like taking it all in um and then when it got to about that 15 minute mark i started getting those butterflies again had to run inside and spew like <laughs> spew bro like i couldn't control it um so when you talk about nerves man that was the most nerve-wracking part of my career ever 
being in that moment. Then it was crazy. Soon as I ran on that field, crossed the crossed that white line, past the first ball, nerves gone. Just felt like a footy game. Here we go, boys. Strap up, let's go. And bro, it just felt like that, man. Like it, it's weird to say, but like literally when you're on that field, you don't even notice the crowd. You can hear them, but you don't even notice, bro. It's just another footy game. Like I was playing down here at Burley Bears. It's crazy, crazy. Yeah, it's, I mean, similar to powerlifting. Like a lot of people have that, of course, on a much smaller scale. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people have that same sort of experience, even at the big comps. Um, yeah, but it's, it's cool to hear it's, it. It's one of those things, bro, like when you talk about um, how do you eliminate that fear, like for me, I never want to let my teammates down. I guess when you talk about powerlifting, you'd never want to let your coaches down and all that stuff. Like you put so much work into that moment. So you don't want to let that moment go. So you literally do everything you can. Even if like in footy, you'll find situations where you are tired, but it's all in your head. Like your body can keep going, keep going, keep going. Um, so like for me, every time I turned up to a game, uh, like I said, like Darren Rocky and all that were playing, I didn't want to let them down. I wanted to be that player that you walked in the sheds and they're like, yeah, this guy did his job today. You know, that was me. And I did that for every single game. Like I approached every single game knowing that I'm not going to let, let my teammates down, whether I'm injured or I'm not feeling 100% because there's never once you'll go into a game and you feel 100% ready to go. You always got niggles. You always got something sore on your body. But as soon as you cross that white line and you wear that Broncos jersey, it's go time. You leave nothing on the field. That's um. I just want to quickly touch on as well because we've got quite a few footy fans that uh, listen to the podcast. You mentioned that you ended up playing hooker uh, in your first game. Like you're arguably one of the most versatile players in the NRL <laughs> in like the last 10, 15 years. How did that come about? Where you could play back row, you could play second row, play front row, you could play center. Bro, literally, man. I just said to the coach, wherever you want me to play, I'll play. Yep. Just put me in the jersey, and I'll, I'll dedicate. Like I'll do my best. I didn't. I knew I wasn't going to be the best hooker, but he needed a standout, like a, a backup hooker to be there. And I had the mastermind Darren Lockyer there, bro. So I didn't have the ball play. I literally just fed him the ball. Um, it was crazy time. Like Darren uh, Hodjo got injured a few times. I had to fill in for him center. I even found myself starting on the wing, bro. And me catching high balls, like I'm not the tallest bloke. Coming up against Israel Folau, and now I'm just like, oh, I got no <laughs> chance, you know. But I just said to the coach, wherever you want me to play, I'll play. I was just that team player, man. And I just did whatever it took to be in the team every week. That's all I cared about, bro. Just put me in the team. Whether I play front row or whether I play wing, I'll do whatever it takes. That's mad. I'm curious about the like inter-team dynamics. Because, you, you know, you're all, you're all doing it as a profession. You're all doing it and getting paid. But you also love the sport. Um, is there beef between teams or is the beef real? Or is everyone pretty chill? Do you, like, do you hang out with each other after the games? You definitely hang out. Um, when you cross that field, it's go time. Whether your mate's on the opposition or not, it's go time. Um, you do whatever it takes for your team. But there is definitely beef. Um, like you talk about the rivalries between Broncos, Cows. Like no offence to the Cows fans, but I hate them because <laughs> they took my premiership ring from me mm -hmm. in, in 2015. And it will always be a thing for me, man. Like one of my best mates, Antonio Winnerstein, was on that Cowboys team. And it still burns me inside when I go to his house knowing that he's got the championship <laughs> ring that should be on my finger. <laughs> um, but there's always that rivalry, man. But once, once the full-time whistle blows and you see each other out and about, bro, like everyone's mates. Everyone's mates. Um, I, th I think everyone can speak for themselves. They would have 
people that they hate uh, with a genuine passion. But for me, man, I there's no hate, man. We need more posit- positivity in the world, bro. So I had no enemies. I love that. Mm. How good. I'm I'm keen to hear like um you know before we started talking on the on the actual podcast we we're talking about your experience in in PNG what are kind of the some of the career highlights that you had experiences like that maybe um that weren't directly related to games Yeah bro well obviously PNG was a massive eye opener that I'll never forget um we we touched on it like it felt like Justin Bieber had come to the country. So we had police escorts in the bus, hundreds of kids running constantly next to our bus on a main road, bro. Like crazy, crazy. And they'll go for like kilometers, man. I'm like, surely these kids are going to tire out. But now they kept going. Um, and because they are just huge, passionate rugby league fans, but also Brisbane Broncos fans. And I seen some scary things, bro. Like we were talking about when I gave out some fans, some, some merch, man. Um, things that, you know, you don't want to see a kid go through, bro. So it was scary in that way. But, man, these guys are passionate when it comes to footy. Um, and, like, having them in the Queensland Cup, I think that's a cool thing. Um, because these guys, you know, they love rugby league, but they've never had that professionalism when it comes to the sport. Um, so for them to have a, you know, Queensland Cup team, um, which I'm going to be looking to go do some work with them in the well-being side of space, uh, because these 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 boys, they've moved away from their family. They're based in Runaway Bay. Um, they're, they're trying to put food on their family's table back at PNG um, and play the sport that they love. So for them, understanding commitment, understanding culture around them, it's very, very different to them. So I want to go in there and try and give some, some knowledge to these boys and help them um, level up, man, and life itself. Oh, good. Yeah, bro. Um, I just want to <clears throat> touch on now because, you know, Footy's been such a massive part of your life for the last 13 years. What's uh, what's life look like now after footy for you? Bro, it's exciting times, Henny. It's exciting times, man. Like, I've been lucky enough um, to, to finish my career and transition into a job with the Brisbane Broncos over the next five years. Um, so financially, like, I'm in a good place. Um, the mortgage is being paid, but... I'm only working three days a week with the club. So I've got that freedom to create my own pathway and my own hustle, which I've always wanted to do. And I, I always said in my career, when I, when I retire, I want to open my own gym. That's always something that I wanted to do because I've been in that team culture where I understand that exercise helps with your mental state. Um, we don't all have to be the most, you know, insane looking, Hulk looking, you know, physique. But Easy to say when you look like that, man. Please. <laughs> 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 but um, literally when you walk out of the gym you know those endorphins going through your bloodstream and how you feel man you feel good about yourself and I knew when I finished footy I'm going to miss that department so I needed to open my own gym so that's what we're doing baby man. we're about to open my our own gym uh, my business partner Jerry my boy um, he's very passionate in this department and he's very um, expertise in that department this uh, department so we're going to level up man we're going to open our own gym it's in the works at the moment uh, so i don't want to jinx it right now but watch this space people watch this space is coming i'm let, excited let me promise you when you walk out of the gym that you own there's no more endorphins <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm, just, I'm just kidding i'm just kidding um, how did how did you how did you go realizing that you're kind of coming towards the end of your career like was that a conscious decision was it something that crept up on you on a, a over a few years towards the end? That's a great question, bro. Um, to be honest, man, like, 
the last two years was probably the hardest years. Obviously, um, we weren't getting results. Um, we had a lot of changes in coaches and all that stuff. But for myself personally, I was riddled with injuries left, right and centre. Um, and everyone was going, oh, it's old age. But I was like, nah, fuck that. That's bullshit. Um, you know, to be honest, man, like just where I was at mentally, bro, like it was just all over the shop. And that transitioned into the way that I was training, way I was recovering, way I was... Um, my nutrition everything had a big factor so throughout my whole career I was very very lucky up until my last two years where I didn't really have any injuries I never hardly ever missed a game um, and then it was two years ago I tore my calf first um, and so I was out for about three four weeks this was in one of our trials and then as I was coming back my first trial game back tore my hammy and I was like man like, I just got made captain. I was like, I'm going to miss round one, bro. Like, I'm not even going to be able to lead the team out. Tore my hammy. So I was like, you know what? The strain that was coming from that and pressure that I was putting on myself, I was like, you know what? Let's grind. Let's try and get back. Get back in a good mental state. So I, I worked back and then played about a couple of games. Did my knee, my medial, gone. Another, you know, two, three months out. And it was literally like that for the whole season. I ended up playing about eight games out of 20-something my first year as captain. So mentally, that screwed me, man. I was just like, how am I meant to be a captain and a leader when I'm not even on that field with the boys bleeding? And at that time, bro, like, we, we got the wooden spoon. So I put a lot of that on myself, which I shouldn't. Like, people say, you shouldn't put that on yourself. But I do because it's, it's the person I am, man. Like, how can I influence my team around me when I'm not grinding and going through the struggles that they're going through on the field? Um, so that was the first instance was like, do I hang, do I hang up the boots? I was like, hell no, I've got so much more to give. I know like this is just, you know, everything was out of the, out of the loop, man. Like I just didn't have any routine down pat. My sleep hygiene was bad. So I went, you know what? I'm going to focus better. Move back to the coast where my family is, my happy places. I love the beach. So I was like, if we go back into a lockdown and a bubble, at least I'm in my happy place. So did that. Got a, um, a lot better, like mentally I was ready to go, I was prepared. Um, and then as the season was going on, I just felt myself not recovering as good as it should do. You know, I was going into games still sore as hell, man. And I'm like, man, I'm still below the bar with these boys. And like I'm playing against, you know, 20-year-olds, man. And these kids are getting faster, they're getting stronger. Did I let that be an excuse? Hell no. I'd still compete and not let them beat me. But I knew... I, I can't keep up to the standard for too much longer. Um, and with the protocols that we were in with NRL, like a lot of people don't understand, literally the only thing that I could do was go to training. We do our COVID test. You got to do your check-in on the app. Then I had to go straight home. I couldn't go to groceries. Um, you couldn't I even put petrol in your car, could you? The only, the, only, the only way you could was if you could do the pay pass at the pump. We weren't physically allowed to go into the store and pay for your fuel. So like a lot of the time, my missus had to do it, you know, and I've got three kids, man. So when you add another thing to the mounted list that she's got to do, bro, that's, that's taxing, man. And as a dad, I couldn't take my kids to school, couldn't take them to sports, couldn't do nothing. So that wiped me out big time yeah. mentally. Um, so I just knew halfway through the year, this COVID ain't going away. The protocols ain't going to go away. Um, I can't do another year of this, um, putting all the strain on the missus and the kids. Um, I'm done, you know. Physically, I could have gone another two years. But 
I couldn't deal with the mental strain or the the pressure that the NRL was put in, um, players put in, the protocols, the bubbles and all that stuff. I was like, nah, I'm out. I'm out. So that's that's where I come to conclusion, man. I had a chat with the club um, and just I, I spoke to them about where's my future, Lee? You know, I know I'm off contract, but what do you want to do? Like, do you want me to stay on and play footy? Or, um, you know, do you want me to step into my next role? Because I already knew I had this job set up. So, you know, um, I wasn't stressed about how am I going to pay for my mortgage in that. So um, the club was like, you know what, um, we've got so much more younger kids coming through. We want to invest our time into them. And I went, yep, sweet. No hard feelings. Like mentally, I've had enough as, as it is. So you just help me make my, my decision. Spoke to Jim about it. And she was like, if that's what you want to do, I'm behind you 100%. She goes, you've done everything in the game. You played for your country that you wanted to do. You got to captain your club. Now you're playing for the Cook Islands. You got them into a World Cup. Like, how good's that? Um, she goes, what's there more to do? She goes, do you want to reach, reach 300 games? I was like, I don't. It's just a number. You know, it's an ego thing. I'm literally content with what I've done in the game. She goes, well, there's your decision. So that was it, bro. It's crazy to think. Uh, if you play 100 games in the NRL, you're an NRL veteran. You've <laughs> played uh, 282 games. Yep. Uh, all for the one club. You're the fourth most capped Bronco of all time. That's a... Uh, that's yeah that that's an impressive feat as it is like you said you didn't need to do anything else you've uh accomplished everything that you could have in footy and yeah that's just that's fucking awesome thanks bro i appreciate it man um to be honest man those numbers don't mean nothing to me bro it's just the people that i got to meet the journey i got to do the i got to travel the world doing it but more so my last two years the best part out of those last two years that were tough was trying uh, not trying but um being a leader for my younger boys coming through. I loved that. I loved it. Like they, they struggled with the pressure from social media um, where, you know, constantly criticised on your performance week in, week out. These boys are fresh out of high school, copying abuse. Some are even copying death threats, man. And I was just like, hell no, am I going to, you know, let that fly? So I was putting myself out there, like it backlashed a little bit, but I didn't care, man. Like, you know, I've, I've, I was at the back end of my career, but I wanted to let these boys know that I had their backs um, and, and try and educate the people and, and those social media, like people coming through just trolling everyone. Like I wanted to educate them that, man, put yourselves in our shoes. If someone was doing that to you, how would you feel? And, um, you know, I even took it out on the media as well. You know, and they didn't like that. Sometimes the club didn't like it. I had to go and speak to them about it. But once I expressed where we were coming from and us players and what we were, what we were um, going through with these death threats, they stood up for us as well. And that's the thing that we've never had that support as players from clubs, from the game, because they worry about the revenue too much, mm, man. Mm, for sure. That's uh, the cool thing about uh, where it's at at the moment with uh, the media and football, like, it's almost like the players have taken it back into their own hands. Yep. When you got people like, uh, you know, YKTR, Bloke in a Bar, uh, NRL Roast, other pages on Instagram and other, you know, big media outlets, you know, they're really backing the players now. Absolutely. And that's what I love, man. Like, the good thing is these boys leading that front, they're ex-players as well. Mm. So they have seen all this and now they're trying to promote the positive stuff that we do because there's a lot that we do out in the community, um, you know, charities and all that stuff, but we didn't go around and, and bloat about it. That's like, that's like um, with Corey Norman, you know, you see his name get thrown around a lot uh, and it's 
a lot of it can be negative. I'm like, fuck, why don't you guys talk about the good shit he does? Hell yeah. Bro. With pass it on clothing. He does yeah. he does fucking so much for the community. Mate. And if you know Normie, he's just a, he's just a genuine bloke. Just Absolutely. A, just bro. a good bloke. 100%, man. That's why I always defended him, man, against these media critics. Um, you know, when him and Chico got in that fight in Cronulla, like mm. they had nothing to do with it. They were just trying to mind their own business and these people started them. And it's just like, you guys don't know who these people really are. Like Normie gives away money like a... Too generous, like, eh? Bro, too generous. And like that pass it on clothing, like man, he'll go out and buy clothes just to give it away. The YKTR boys would just, you know, they'll put in their orders for their their um, their sales, but they'll order more so they can give it to pass it on clothing. Like these boys give money from their own pockets to give it out to people. And that's out of their own generosity. That's the type of people that they are. Um, and that's there's so many more people in our game that do that left, right and centre. But, we don't do it for clickbait. We don't do mm. it for attention. Um, and I feel like a lot of people do that these days just for that hype. For know? sure. When you, because you guys like just even talking to you for the last forty minutes or so, you know, you're clearly clearly a very humble person. These guys are clearly humble people. When you're humble, you don't go around bragging about the good things that you do. And it's a catch twenty two because you're in the eye of the media, you're in the eye of social media, and if you're not bragging about it, not many people know that you do yeah. that. And because it's because you're not doing it for those people, and uh, mm. it it it's yeah, it creates this this um, I guess weird dynamic. And it's something I wanted to ask you about actually, because you know you've come up from 2008, so you were playing professionally when the world transformed from being the only media outlet sources were, you know, yeah. maybe the internet, but mostly just the news. And yeah. now it's all social media, all Instagram and Facebook. How was it adapting to the change? Um, when you're in the public eye, was it was it tricky? Was there hurdles to jump over? Now, obviously, you're dealing with these young kids that are getting thrashed by it. Yeah. Um, for me, bro, it was easy because I went from newspapers being your your news outlet and the news of the overnight to slowly the transition through social media. It was slowly coming through. So I literally watched it all the way through. Um, and I educated myself very quickly about social media and the power of social media and the power of your own personal brand. Um, you know, because I knew social media was going to become what it is now. Um, everyone's creating their own businesses. Um, you look at when we graduated from high school and I'm not going to say what year it was because then it'll show my age. But um, literally we had two choices. It was either uni or trade. Um, and sports, it was always there, but like the chance of being a sports athlete is so slim. So in your parents' eyes, like that's never a- It's not a feasible option. Yeah, bro, absolutely. But you look at these kids now and the opportunities they have as entrepreneurs and creating their own um, brand through social medias and getting companies to pay them to market their, uh, whatever they want to sell, like whether it's clothing, food or whatever, they can make income easily like that. You know, you don't have to go and study at uni and stuff. But that's why I want to try and with my community work that we're doing in high schools, I want to educate these kids, man, about the power of their own personal brand. You do it well, you can create your own lifestyle. And no one wants, wants to work nine to fives, you know, these days. No one wants to work. The true happiness is, um, you know, being flexible with your time, you know, being flexible with your time. So I was lucky enough for myself to understand that social media is going to become this big thing that it is now. And I educated myself around it, bro. And I've got good people around me that help me with the mental side of things, like Living, Casey and Sam. Um, they started their own charity called Living that fights mental health and depression. 
So I was in a good space when I when I got um, thrashed through social media. I knew how to deal with it, but a lot of these kids didn't, and that's what I enjoyed most. So um, yeah, I think that's a big outlet for us, or a a big window for us is to help these football players deal with their well being, man. That's I, why I'm studying it. That's awesome, man. I actually wanted to. That was one of my questions that I was going to ask you is um. Because you're very open about your mental health, you, you're a yeah. massive advocate for you know men's mental health. Um, how did you how did you go down that uh, avenue? Yeah, bro, it was obviously man. Like when I talked about, I had no direction in life. I felt worthless. You know, all my mates have gone into successful businesses and and doing doing it well. Literally, I was still asking my mum for money, man. As a 17 year old kid, bro, um, everyone was living out of home, and I was still living and sharing a bedroom with my brother and my sister, which I'm not embarrassed about. But, like, my mental state, like, that was that was jacked, man. Like, I'm going into adulthood with nothing behind me. So, um, how I dealt with it back then was probably not ideal, but I used footy as my outlet, my outlet. So, I'll go train, train the house down and be like, yeah, look in the mirror constantly and just be like, this is where we want to be. Um, it taught me a lot about goal setting. Like, goal setting saved, saved me big time. But as the years got over... Uh, or as the years built on and I surrounded myself with good people I started speaking about my emotions um, you know heartbreaks uh, breakups all that stuff like bro these boys helped me man and it, it opened my eyes to speaking about your problems helps your problems go away instead of holding it in and it weighing you down and you wake up with that um, that weight constantly bringing you down you feel energyless. Um, I knew that Speaking about my problems made it disappear. So when these boys started this charity, I was like, I'm all for it. I'm going to use my stage and platform that I'm on to promote it because I know firsthand I'm not the only one that goes through these struggles. Everyone has their own struggles. Life is a roller coaster. That's true, man. You wake up some days, you don't feel as good as you did last week. But hey, it's a journey and you appreciate it as you get older. Uh, and if I can educate the younger kids and help them through my journey and, um, you know, share some of the tough s stuff that I went through and share some vulnerability and let them know that I'm too human, like I'm just like you, um, then I know I can make a difference to these people. Because everyone puts us everyone puts us on this platform like, hey, you're a, you're a professional athlete. Like, you don't have feelings, blah, blah, blah. It's total jack. Like we're just exactly like you, man. We wake up. Same time as you do, we go, we train, we have same emotions, we still eat the same food, um, but because we're on TV, we're classed as these people on a pedestal, but it's far from it, man. So I've really enjoyed transitioning from footy to the real world, and now I've got more time to give back to the people, man. Give back to the people out there, and like running into the bro outside here mm. of the gym, man, like he's a massive sports fan, as you were saying, and just seeing him being shocked, like meeting me, like, mm. you see that all the time, but I love the feeling of, like, yo, what's good, man? Like, this is Alex Glenn. This is me. Like, I'm here. Like, you want to take a photo? Let's take a photo. You want to talk about life in general? Let's talk about life in general. Like, I got time for you. Like, I love that 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 um, interaction with fans, man. It was so good. Watching uh, watching Andrew freak out as well. <laughs> Started shaking. You couldn't believe bro, it. Literally shaking. He's like, what, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. Yeah, bro. No, I love that, bro. That's awesome to hear, man. Because obviously... um. Yeah, it's not a it's not an easy thing to talk about mental health. So it's cool hearing uh people like yourself breaking down those walls, make it in a more uh 
I don't know if mainstream is the word, but a more, a more comfortable topic for people to talk about openly. Sure. Just uh, creating that open dialogue about, uh, yeah. Bro, and you know that, man. Like, mm. I've seen it across the game too. So, like, everyone's like, oh, you're a footy player, man. Harden up. Like, you'll be mm. all right. But I've seen it change now, whereas more footy players are, are speaking up about their race. Like, you look at Latrell, man. Like, he's passionate when it comes to his his mob and his, his race. Um, and he won't. Like, he's coming out and, and calling out the racism. I love that, like, man. Bro, absolutely, man. And mm. that's, like, us players, oh, I'm an ex-player, but, like, the players now, they're adapting, mm. you know, and they're taking ownership on themselves um, to, to speak up for their people because they are a huge influence on the community. 100%, when man. when they do it, it allows others to do it. You know, we don't have to be, um, you know, a professional athlete or, you know, a CEO or someone to, to lead. You know, anyone can do it, bro. And it's just enabling that power within yourself to be like, you know what, that's not right. I'm going to stand up for what's right. That's what I um, didn't like. You know, Latrell as well, he's another player whose name gets uh, dragged through the mud uh, through on social social media yep. and, uh, you know, big corporate news outlets. But I'm like, man, he's fucking st- standing up for himself. 100%. He's standing bro. up for his people. And, uh, 100%. No, nah, it's a cool thing to see, and I love it. Absolutely. I'm here for it, man. Here for it. You got any questions, CJ? Me? Yeah. Um... You, you captained the Broncos, yep. and um, I just wanted to. You kind of briefly mentioned, like the the I guess the harder times that the team went through and not delivering on results and whatnot, and you captaining through those times. How did you, um, like I guess becoming the captain of the team? How did you? Uh, how did you lead? How did you deal with all those players who are like first grade players, and you know that. Different egos, different relationships with everyone. Yep. Like, who did someone teach you how to lead these? Uh, how to lead and you know pick their spirits up when things got rough and how to develop relationships with everyone? Or were you like, what did playing with Lockie and seeing how he led did that play an influence in how you lead? That definitely played an influence. Um, but for myself, man, like I was always naturally. Um, someone that picked it up quick coming from like I talked about my family I had a huge family and I lived in a house of four families so I grew up with nine of my cousins and my brother and sister um, which we labeled ourselves misfits and people always ask where's misfit four come from like that's come from my grandparents house that we lived in and we labeled like oh, I think I was seven or eight at the time and um, you know I was the fourth eldest so the eldest was misfit one all the way down to nine um, and growing up with my cousins and my peers, you, you were taught to look after your younger siblings. So constantly, like, I was, when we walked to school, I was looking after them. So, like, leadership came easy for me, in a way, because I was constantly doing it in my day-to-day life. People were like, man, that's, that's leadership in itself, but you weren't taught that. It was just our habits that we went through. So, when it transitioned to sport, like, that was just a natural thing that developed for me, and I never set out to be a captain or anything. I just... um. I just had a way of like trying to empower each other to be their best versions in a team environment and in life in general. Um, and that opened the door for me to be captain. Um, so definitely that helped. But then watching Darren Lockyer lead and what he did, and then even like I spoke to him on multiple occasions, um, my first game as captain, I was only 22 not in my right mind should I have been leading the team, but the coach said that, you know, I'll be a future star and, and I want you to lead the team. I ran Lockyer before that game um, because they were in origin camp. I rang him and I was like, 
Lockie, like, I don't know what to do, man. Like, I don't know how to lead these boys. I'm not a captain at the moment. Like, I'm still finding my feet in first grade. And this was something, What this advice that I'm about to share was something that I resonated with myself in a life basis away from footy, but also in training every single day. And he said, Lex, you don't have to change anything you do in your game. Just lead through your actions. And he goes, the rest will follow. So that- if you do your job, the boys will follow you. That's yep. fucking. That's mm. Darren Lockyer to a T oh, as well. I was about to say that he's not the loudest Literally bloke, that's. but it's just the way he carries himself. Yep. It's you could just you just walk in the room, you know he's the fucking alpha. Yeah. Hell yeah, bro. Mm. Hell yeah. And like you said, he wasn't the loudest, bro. But you could always rely that this man will turn up for you any day of the mm. week, and he'll do his job. And bro, as soon as he said that, boom, just went into into that mode. Like, yeah, I now know what to do. And so I try to do that every single day. And when I was the captain, I made sure that everything that I did, um, whether it was stretching, hygiene, uh, recovery, and like hygiene, some of these boys need a whoop up the ass because <laughs> sheesh, man. Bro, we, we work in a tough sport and like, get your ass in the shower, bro. Um, but yeah, bro, like literally I made sure that I could control what I was able to control because there's a lot of things out of our control. Uh, and you can't down your, down yourself or let it weigh yourself down. So everything that I could control, which was my food intake, my recovery, my sleep, I made sure that I was doing that to the best that I can. And so when the boys seen that, they're like, yeah, sweet, I need to do that as well. Um, and then when we turned up to training, when it was time to training, you, you didn't feel your best. But when you go out there, you give it 100%. 100% so the coach says, yep, we're done. Then you can go fuck around. You can go get a coffee, talk shit, whatever you want to do. Um, so I just made sure I was handling my business myself before I could tell anyone else to to do that. Leave from the front, man. Leave from the front and the boys will follow you. How did you, um, like with that, like having to, uh, I guess, set an example at such a high standard mm-hmm. and, and being that inspiration, that comes with the pressure. To, to always perform at that level how did you do how did you sustain that for longevity get in a good partner that's so supportive of you yeah. man like <laughs> shout out to Jemzy. she held it down for me man um uh, because obviously like there was some tough tough days that you know i second guessed myself am i capable for this responsibility um and Jem was always in the back you know, going, why are you doubting yourself? Like, you, you're an amazing human. Um, you do a lot for other people. Um, so, like, what you're going through, it's, it's normal. But you're going to bounce back from this and don't let that weigh you down. And um, having that um, support person, you know, left, right and centre for me was was a pinnacle of it, bro. Also, my, my small group of friends as well. Yeah. Um, you know, like, I went through hard times, man. Um, two years was probably the hardest time that I went through some hardship. Um, you know, still to this day, like me and my mom had a falling out, haven't spoken to her to this day. Um, I just realized that, um, you know, the bond, but not the bond between me and mom, but like where we were at in our life stages, man, like she was pretty toxic for me and my family. And I had to cut that. And like, I come from a strong family background, bro. So doing that was all against my family upbringings. And I copped a lot from my fam's. Um, big time, bro. And literally, it broke my heart, man, because I felt like I was isolated from everyone. I had no one on my side. So my small circle, I started talking to them about it. They're like, bro, that's not right, man. Like, the way that she's treating you is not right. Then I started speaking to my uncles because um, obviously they were on mum's side. Started telling them what's going on, how she, she's she been 
what she's been saying to me and bro, it just opened their eyes and they're like, you know what, what you're doing is right. What you're doing is right. And I apologise for everything that happened from me and they're like, we support you. Like That's beautiful. Those, oh, wow. Like when you talk about leadership, you got to put yourself in uncomfortable situations, right? Um, you're not going to please every single one. And at that time, I knew I had to do this for my family and myself. And whether me cutting my mom, which is like, the hardest thing to do, I had to do what was right. And I stood up for it. It didn't go down sweet. But you know what? I'm I'm the happiest I've ever been since. Like it was a journey in itself, but it was the best thing that I had to do for my family and myself. And sometimes you gotta do that in life, man. You gotta walk that that lonely path. You gotta have those tough conversations. But when you get through it, the sun always rises from the storm, man, and it's a beautiful place to be. Fuck yeah. That's awesome, beautiful, man. bro. That's beautiful. Well, we don't want to take up too much of your time, but we've got a bunch of questions that came off the um, off the Instagram, uh, so we'll fire them at you, Yo. and they'll just be, I guess, quick quick fire answers for you. Um, what does a day in the life look like for you now that you're done with footy? Day in the life, I'm up at uh, 3 a.m. in the gym, 3.30 a.m. with the boys, the LTC crew. Uh, we get the workout done, then I go home, get coffee, uh, wake the kids up We have breakfast Do the kids um, break, um, School lunches With the missus Some days I have to Jet to Brisbane For, for work um, And if I don't have to Then we do The school drop off I go have some Business meetings And then um, My kids are very Very active man So every single day They got some sports on So it's literally School pick up Their sports Back home Bath Dinner Bed must be nice to be doing that without the stupid bubble. <laughs> oh, bro. The freedom. Like, I can't wipe the smile off my face, man. <laughs> yeah. Legit. So, it's good, bro. It's good. Being able to be there for my kids is what it's all about, and I love it, man. That's awesome, man. All right. Uh, who is the strongest footy player in the gym you've ever seen? Ooh, that's a great question, man. Um, for myself, bro, um, David Huller, he, he bench-pressed 195 at... Freaks. I think he was nineteen. I think he was nineteen at the time. Oh, yeah. And wow. so, like, you got Sammy Thaday. They're doing like a hundred. I think he was one eighty five. And seeing this nineteen year old pass him, bro, I was like, Whoa, that's <laughs> nuts." Um, but yeah, he was one of the strongest, bro. I think all round man, the strongest uh, player that I've been around would be Marty Tapel. Oh. Thomas, I'll have to, to show you some videos of this. This bloke's a freak. He actually trained yeah, no, with he the. Trained with Seb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He pulled three hundred kilos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's a, a nop nuts. Funny story. It'll be real quick, real quick. So we played tour in England uh, with the Kiwis, and we flew over twenty four hour flight to England. We land. It's like midnight there. Obviously, our body clocks are way off. Marty, first thing he does. This is in the first hour. Goes up, grabs his like air mask. You know the. Mm. What do you call him? Like altitude uh, mask. Yeah, altitude yeah. mask. He go grab that. We're all still trying to check in. He comes down. I'm like, where are you off to? And he goes, I'm going to the gym. I'm going to lift. I was like, you off your head, <laughs> bro? We just touched down. We're all exhausted, like wrecked. This fella's got his altitude mask, about to go lift some reps in the gym, bro. He just he was built different, man. I seen a um, video of him in the wa- like uh, in the sheds before a game, and he's got dumbbells, dumbbells. in the sheds. <laughs> he's doing shoulder press before the game, doing some curls, and I'm yeah. like, bro, I think there's more effective ways to warm up. But uh, <laughs> that's yeah, awesome. Bro. That's so good. But yeah, he's the strongest man that like he's I've, jacked I've got, as well, eh? Bro, hell yeah, hell yeah. Uh, who'd win in a fight, Corey Norman or Isaac John? 
Bro, I would pay money to see this. I would pay money. To, I, to be honest, man, I reckon Normie. I reckon because he's got reach. I reckon Normie's got him. But I ain't gonna. I ain't gonna rule the sausage dog out. Ice. Um, he, he's, he's got, got a, a little bit. Of, he's got. A, he's got a little bit of mungu in him too. Uh, so he won't go down easy. But I would pay to see that. Please, can we get that? And he's got that cookie blood. Hey. Well, Normie did some training sessions with James as well, so he's got a leg up there. <laughs> yes, sir. E- extra strong now. <laughs> he goes all right in the gym too, eh, yeah, Normie? Bro. He's Hell strong. Yeah. Hell yeah. He's strong. That's cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Next question is, this is from uh, the bro, John Brooks. Yeah. Uh, what, what was your welcome to the NRL moment? Like when you're like, fuck, I'm here. Was it like, did you get hit in the tackle or was it, what was it? Oh, bro, that's a great question, huh? Oh, no, nah, actually, no. Nah. I know straight away. My first trial game, 2009, I was playing center, like trialing at center. I come up against Greg Inglis, bro. <laughs> like Mark and Greg Inglis. So I was 20, man, coming against GI. And GI's at his prime, bro. He's throwing dudes left, right, and center in origin. Like beast. And um, GI's, like when you see him in, in person, bro, he is taller than that door, bro. Like he is massive. So I marked up against GI and um, Ivan Hendrick goes um, to defend him, just get in his face, then he can't fend you. Bro, it was probably the worst <laughs> advice I got given, eh? Because literally, I seen him throw a long ball to GI and I went, I'm getting in there. Literally, GI caught it and I landed, like I tackled him straight away and he just grabbed me by the collar, picked me up, threw me down and then carried on running, bro. <laughs> Scored a try and I was just like, hold that. And literally, Sam Thide, he was my back rower. He come over to me laughing and he goes, welcome to first grade. That's exactly what he said, bro. And I was like, damn. That, damn. Is, that is a fucking good welcome <laughs> to the NRL bro, moment. Hell yeah. And um, Greg Inglis, he's arguably the greatest center of all time in my eyes, but he was just a fuck. It was a freak show. Eh? Bro, a freak, Six man. foot five. Fast, strong, like skills of an elite athlete, man. Like, bro. He was the, f- he was the first guy we used to see do those big spiral bombs. Yo. They'd literally come down with snow on them, eh? Oh, bro. It was insane. How freaky. And he could hit too, bro. So he, yeah. he just, he the was total, the total package, package eh? bro. Total package. And I had to mark his ass. <laughs> what the hell? Welcome to the league, baby. Welcome <laughs> to the first grade, baby. Well, this one kind of follows on from that, or maybe it's the same answer. Who's the toughest player you ever played against um, or with? GI is the toughest player I played against, um, but Sam Burgess as well. Like, bro, that dude's a nutter, nutter man. Like, proper just, nutter though. Eh? Hell yeah, mm. hell yeah. Um, to play with, bro, I'll probably have to say uh, Darren Lockyer or Benny Hunt. Benny Hunt, bro, that dude. Like, uh, he's he's got the most respect from me. He tore his hammy once um, in a game, and they were about to make a break, and he stood up. Chased him down with a torn hammy, tackled him out, and then came off the field. Like, bro, nuts. Nuts, yes. man. So, yeah, bro. Benny Hunt, he's he's a strong character, man. He, he could throw his weight around, eh, for a Hell small yeah, bloke. Bro. Loved yeah. getting in on D. Oh, 100%. Like, usually, you know, usually when you're playing, you look at the number seven, you look at the six, yeah, sweet. That's the spot. We're yep. running that line. You look yep. at Benny Hunt, you, you're not going to – he's such a good defender oh, as well. Oh, yeah, bro. Hell yeah. Normie, on the other hand, eh. Yeah. <laughs> he loves to grab with the fingers and that. <laughs> He, he'll, he'll say to your face, he was like, hell no, they call me the wasp because I yeah. stink. Yeah. I shouldn't say C word, but he reckons, stink, he, dude. he reckons he's got I'm the like, widow makers, eh? Oh, bro, I'm, like, bro. I'm like, come on, man. I used to always target you, bro, because I knew. 
your back row is doing extra work covering you. So, yeah, man. There's there's two different types of halves, man. You got Normie and you got Benny Hunt. <laughs> yeah, bro. I love that. All right. Any more off that list you want to ask? Um, we covered a bunch of them in the actual podcast. Yeah. Or the other one is. <clears throat> no, nah, that's uh, that's pretty much it. We've pretty much nailed in everything. All good, man. Well, that I was got a, nothing but time, man. So that was a, that was fucking awesome. It's really good. Went so fast. Been an hour. Has it? Yeah. I told you, man. You've got to cut me sometimes. I can just, <laughs> I can keep talking, eh? Nah, I, I love keep it. Talking. So apologize if we went too long. Cookies, man. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I just, I wish I had more rugby stuff to talk about. Like all I know is Tana Umanga, <laughs> Jonah Lomu. <laughs> Canterbury Crusaders, that's it. Hey, I'm talking about rugby, man. I'm keen to see Roger Tuivasa Sheck this year, bro. I'm down. The Auckland Blues. That's my guy. Yo, yeah. bro. Like, obviously, man, like, I played played with him and against him, and he's one hard man to tackle. Like, the footwork on this man is just mm. next level, and I've been a victim of it too, bro. So I'm keen to see him light it up in the in the rugby, bro. It's going to be hectic. Well, actually, I've got another question. You, you're in fucking awesome shape, and you've been in awesome shape like your whole NRL career. Like, were you? Is that all? What's that? Do you just put that down to your training and nutrition and genetics? Hey, Gene- nah, a lot of hard work, but mm-hmm. I think genetics is on my side. Because yeah. to be fair, man, I ain't the healthiest person. Like, yeah. bro, I love my McDonald's and I love my KFC and fast food and stuff. Chocolate, uh, week for chocolate. Um, but I, I literally train my ass off so I can eat that. 100. You know, like people go out to, to, to look lean and look the best they can, bro. I just, I train hard to so I can eat whatever I want, bro. Um, <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. If, if some abs pop out, bro, then uh, that's a bonus. That's a bonus, bro. <laughs> a bad day for Alex is only a six pack. Uh, <laughs> oh, I've only got a six pack, not a <laughs> 10 <Please>. pack. <laughs> No way. I'm telling you right now, bro. Jerry, man, he makes me keep my shirt on for sure. Right. That it, fella's built different. Man. He, yeah, he's got he's got that Greek god body. Hell yeah. But I remember when we first uh, trained together, we did mm-hmm. a little class with uh, Tizzy. Oh, Tizzy yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And Shout bro, out to Tez. Yeah, she's a legend, one of my best friends. I remember uh, when Jordan Ricky took his shirt off. Yeah. That guy's another freak yeah, of nature, yeah, eh? Bro, hell yeah. Hell I was yeah. like, this, this bloke's perfect. Hell yeah. Handsome face, oh, mad bro. rig. But see, I, mm. I just, I, I do the opposite. I'm like, bro, you're getting chubby, man. Because you got to keep them on their toes, you know? You can't let it get to their head. But yeah, bro, that dude's in, he's in good shape, man. Um, he's been blessed with the demigods, bro. Mm, um, proper. Yeah, bro, 100. And last year, I think he made a, a break with the ladies, bro. The yeah. ladies just seen Ricky come into the status and... Phew, it was it was left there, bro. It's funny because he goes into uh, he used to go into my missus' uh, work because he's friends with Alicia, and um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, like he'd walk out and all the yeah. girls would be like, "How do you know him? He's yeah, so hot." Yeah. And yeah. yeah, yeah, bro. And then Alicia would go, "No, my fiance's hotter." Yeah, no, hotter. <laughs> that's right, bro. That's right, G. Yes, sir. They don't know about Henny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, that's Yo. good. All right, Alex Glenn, how, how can people find you if they want to follow you on social media? Yeah, so come through my Instagram, man. I'm um, Alex Glenn underscore. Um, 
and then also, bro, I'm jumping into the Twitch world as well. Um, I'm on Twitch as Polyforce136. Don't judge me, bro. That's my gamer tag. That's been that gamer tag since I was young, man. Polyforce. Um, yeah, Polyforce, bro. <laughs> and I'm on Twitter as well under my name, Alex Glenn. So that's me. You can find me there. Come through the DM, say what's up, um, and watch the space, bro. The gym's about to launch soon. So let's go. Yeah, make sure you get on board, guys, and show them some love, show them some support. I can't wait for your gym to open up, bro. I wish you all the best for your future. Once again, thanks for your time, man. I really appreciate it. And this has been a fucking awesome conversation. I appreciate you guys, man. Like I said, man, it's an absolute honor to come in here, um, be invited to be on your podcast. And if any of your, your listeners took something out of that, then my job's done, bro. I'm just here to try and empower each other, try and um, help people find their best versions of themselves. And if this helped, then beautiful. That's mad. Sweet. Peace. Thanks, everyone. See ya. Let's go. Thank you so much for listening to the Zero Podcast. If you want more information, head to our Instagram, zero underscore weakness. Hit the link in the bio for all of our services and any information on upcoming workshops and events. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review so we can have a broader reach and answer more people's questions. Thank you once more.